This episode is sponsored by Oscilloscope Laboratories, presenting the film Poser. Wallflower Lennon Gates creates a podcast to interview the local musicians she adores, hoping to win access to the inner sanctum of the underground scene in Columbus, Ohio. As she discovers her own musical ambitions, she develops a fast friendship with the striking, confident performer Bobby Kitten, and in the process creates an identity not wholly her own. Soon, Lennon's aspirations lead her down a path of dark obsession. Kate Erbland at IndieWire calls it spiky, fun, feverish, and more than a little nail-biting, while Variety's Tomris Lafley says Poser is oddly beautiful, absurdly compelling, even freakishly watchable. Poser opens Friday, June 17th at New York City's Quad Cinema and the landmark Westwood in Los Angeles. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast for filmstage.com. As always, I'm your host, Brian J. Rowan. With me today, we have Robin Barr. We also have Bill Graham. Hey, hey. What's up? And with us today, a special guest to help us talk about Fire Island, which is on Hulu right now. It's Kyle Turner. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so uh, excited to be here. Absolutely. We are very excited to have you here to talk about this new movie, which is out on streaming now. So uh, widely accessible film for all of our listeners. Uh, Kyle, would you like to introduce yourself to our listening audience before we uh, get into everything? Sure. Um, my name is Kyle Turner, and I'm a queer freelance writer based in Brooklyn. And you can find my work um at W Magazine and GQ and the New York Times. And I especially am interested in, in queer cinema. So Fire Island is very much up my alley. Awesome. It was either this or Top Gun Maverick. <laughs> <laughs> They're both pretty gay, so. I know. That's, <laughs> Although I, I have not seen Top Gun Maverick. I haven't seen the, the original Top Gun either. It's pretty gay. It's, it's got some homoeroticism to it. All right. Well, yes. So we are here to talk about Fire Island, um, the newest film uh, directed by Andrew Ahn. Um, that movie we will talk about in just a little bit. Uh, before we get into that, though, the usual stuff. You can find us on Twitter at Film Stage Show, Facebook, The Film Stage Show. And of course, you can email us podcastfilmstage.com with any long form thoughts you have. And uh, feel free to give us a comment or rating on whatever uh, podcast catching app that you use. And. If you would like to become patrons of this here podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash the film stage show for as little as $1 an episode. You get access to our Slack channel and you get access uh, to a first crack at all of our movie raffles that we do. So check that out and go to patreon.com slash the film stage show to become a patron today. Um, and that's that, honestly. Uh, not much else to talk about. Does anyone have any updates or any life shit they want to talk about before we start talking about this movie? No, I think we're. I'm good, personally. Awesome. Robin is just... I'm actually not before. good. <laughs> <laughs> I am a little nap baby who has problems. <laughs> well, let's just spend you 20 minutes talking about that. I love a nap. <laughs> Look, naps are great. Naps... Love and love an app. I can't take them myself, but I support support your endeavors. I appreciate that. Is there a 
without getting on too much of a tangent, is there a reason you can't take naps? Like, are you just like not? I get too groggy after. Oh yeah, yeah. I can absolutely fall asleep very easily, but I afterwards it's just it takes me too long to to restart. It was there's a thing there's a thing called I can't remember what what the what the the phrase is, but basically the idea is that you take either, you know, an energy drink or down a bunch of coffee, nap for like 20 or 30 minutes. And then hopefully by the time you wake up, like, you know, after that 30 minutes, the caffeine has basically kicked in and you're ready to go. That so, is wild. That mm-hmm. that might be a thing. I'll have to that, try that. It's it's just to the right of four loco, from what I understand. <laughs> so you know, there was a a thing on TikTok that said like if you lay on the floor and put your feet on the couch and then take a fifteen minute nap, that apparently that's like incredible. You don't oh, just okay. believe anything from fucking TikTok. I didn't say it was real. In fact, I watched a Factor Cap video about it, and they said, well, we didn't fall asleep, but we do feel all right, so, like, maybe it could work. But anyway, so... Well, this 15-year-old on Twitter told me to kill myself. Like, I might as well do it. Look, if you if you got a 15-year-old on Twitter already telling you the thing that you tell yourself every day, I think that's God telling you to go for it. <laughs> You're a nightmare. <laughs> in inner truth. I I will have to take those methods into consideration because I am going to a dance party on Friday with some friends that starts at 11, something that I don't usually do. Oh, I... Where I, is I, this? Yeah, Jesus, no. Hard pass. <laughs> even even when that, I was like... Uh, it, <laughs> no, I'm sorry, go ahead. Is that a bar called Elsewhere? Sorry. Okay. Is this in New York? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like okay. a, a, it's called bubble tea. It's specifically for queer Asian American Pacific Islanders. Huh. Oh, okay. Bill is really excited to go. And he's like, oh, Sorry. damn it. Sorry. I don't I check mean, any of those fucking like, boxes. White people aren't, are, like, white people aren't unwelcome, but um, it is oh, a yeah. space pre- predominantly for, like, queer AAPI folks. Well, it, no. The reason I, I said oh is because you said bubble tea and then proceeded to tell me that it was a, a, a gay dance club and I was like, oh, okay. Well, we just that's... really wanted bubble tea? Hell yeah. <laughs> I love I, I boba mean, that's tea. The pun. That's the pun. Yeah, yeah Good. I love Good boba tea. just wanted boba. <laughs> I was gonna say even when I was like you know late teens early 20s and like couldn't fall asleep until 6 a.m. anyway I still feel like I'd balk at the idea of a dance party that started at 11 because like did you yeah. go to college <laughs> I did go to college but the thing was like I would be drunk at eight o'clock and so at that point it's like I'm I cannot mm. I don't know how I'd maintain to go to a dance party at 11 if you told me it was just right, a party right Right, I could go. I could keep a buzz on for another twelve hours. What's a party okay? if not a dance party? But like, there could be dancing <laughs> at it. But like, you know, you, you know. could be talking. Yeah, the the, um, the Fire Island premiere party wasn't a dance party, even though they were playing loud music. Like most people were just like talking. Mm. Um, but I, I generally uh, prefer if a move if I am not at like a movie or a show that has started like at eight or nine. I usually like to be at home and in bed around ten. So. Going out to do a thing that starts at 11 is pretty, like, um, atypical for me. And right. I'm See, crossing my fingers saying? and I'm going to have fun. It would be a lot of, like, like at about 7 o'clock, I would be like, I don't know what to do between now 
and the right. dance party. Like, I'm not going to have a meal right before I go to a dance party. That's a disaster waiting to happen. <laughs> I'm not going to start it? drinking now. Yeah, I don't know. That, that sounds like a good idea. That no, sounds no, like it'll yeah. give me energy and give me something like, to soak up the, the alcohol. No, no, no. You got to have your meal at like five or six. Oh, Jesus. You got to have no. the proper amount of time so that you're not feeling too logy, too heavy when you get to the dance party. Jesus. Well, how long does it take for you to not feel like shit after eating a meal? Bill, I feel like shit literally all the time. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> put you know, your legs you up on the couch. <laughs> anyway, this has been fun. I mean, this is a this good, is good. It's a good um, way to get us started to talk about a movie that is, you know, about the rituals of partying and mm-hmm. people being together. Yeah, I wonder if they, I wonder about? if if they feel like they need to have like a time. Like I wonder if on Fire Island you're like time doesn't fucking matter anymore. I'm on vacation and I'm in gay paradise. I can't tell if yeah. you are. I mean, they say it in the movie. Right. I was about to say, I can't tell if you're making an oblique reference to the movie or you actually just didn't watch the movie and you weren't sure. No, no. I, I know that they say, like, time seems to be different on the island. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, days feel like weeks or something like that. But they didn't specifically mention, like, an 11 p.m. party feels like, like, fuck that. They were like, you know... So, I don't know. All right. Well, let's talk well, about it. The, the movie. Now I know what audience I'm dealing with. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Extremely straight white male. <laughs> I am so excited. Yeah. And we've also got Robin, who is, I don't know. Straight Robin. white female. A baby. Straight-ish white female. I was about to say, you said extremely straight. And I wasn't sure if I could peg you with extremely. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm like vaguely not. But mostly. Okay. Anyway, uh, I let's, the candor. We're gonna we're gonna take the next <laughs> twenty minutes to work on our Kinsey scales, and then get back and really really <laughs> dig into this. So yes, the movie again is Fire Island. This movie stars Joel Kim Booster and Bowen Yang, amongst many others, and it is available to stream on Hulu right now. Um, so we will be talking about it. And uh, before we do that, of course, I will play a chunk of the trailer right now. Get on the boat! Stupid bitch, Noah, every year. Oh, I made it, didn't I? This week is sacred. We're going to Fire Island. And this is why straight people hate us. And also heteronormativity, Judeo-Christian pathology, anal. All right. So that is the opening of the trailer for Fire Island. A movie about a group of friends who go to have a week-long party on Fire Island and uh, who discover things about themselves and those around them and uh, blah, blah, blah. So let's talk about it. We begin with our nutshell thoughts and with our guest Kyle Turner what are your basic round uh, th- all around thoughts on Fire Island I really like it I think it's very sweet very funny um I'm particularly enamored of uh the ways in which Andrew Ahn is able to elicit this wistful melancholy um in a f- in the film uh one a film that like presents itself as being a much more straightforward romantic comedy um but I think 
is it actually able to unlock this uh, something a little bit deeper, especially with regards to like the uh, particular personal experiences and perspective from Joel Kim Booster, um, the star and writer and executive producer and of Bo and Yang as well. So I really like it. All right. Robin Barr. Yeah, I, I had a good time at this movie. Um, you know, I, I love anything that's an adaptation of Jane Austen. Uh, I've seen most adaptations of Jane Austen, at least modern ones. And, you know, this as a modern day interpretation of Pride and Prejudice, I think works very well. I thought the lead, um, you know, Joel Kimbooster, very, very spiky version of Lizzie Bennett. Um, but I, I, my heart was so open to Bowen Yang. He was lovely in this movie. Um, and I also really loved the the Darcy of this movie. Um, I forget his first name. It just escaped my mind. Um Rick Mora. Oh. I'm sorry. What did you say his first name was? Uh, the character's Will. name is Will, but the actor is Conrad Rickamora. Conrad, yes, I, I knew his last name was Rickamora. Um, he was he was fantastic, uh, just a really really good performance. Um, that you know it's really hard to pull off pull off a Darcy because you have to be believably assholeish, and then you have to make somebody fall in love with you um, throughout the movie, and that's very hard to do. I thought he really pulled it off. Um, just yeah, big big fan of this movie. It's sweetness. I'm not a huge rom-com person, so anything that that subverts the genre uh, is okay by my book. All right, Bill Graham. Um, so I really enjoyed this. Uh, I don't know that much about Jane Austen adaptations and things of that nature. I've seen quite a few of them, um, some of the more mainstream ones, but this is not something that I watched and like realized that I was watching a Jane Austen adaptation. Uh, part of that is because I've never read Pride and Prejudice. Part of that is also because I'm a fucking idiot and just don't notice things like that, um, even when they're very Wait, obvious. Have you seen the Joe Wright film? Sorry. Uh, have I? Is that w- which one's with? Is that with Kiera? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Kira, then Kira I've seen Knightley it. And, yeah. Yeah, then I've sorry, seen it. Sorry for interrupting. Yeah, no, no, that's fine. You don't have to apologize uh, to Bill. Uh, but yeah, uh, I actually liked that movie. Uh, that was good. Um, but it, it was also very strange watching that after having seen Succession, where you mm-hmm. see, um, because isn't that, it? doesn't he play Darcy? He Yeah, uh, Matthew McFadden plays yeah. Darcy and is also uh, Tom, who, you know, like the cuck <laughs> husband yes. on Succession. Uh, yes. Yeah, it's, I mean, I think it shows his range that he can be both believably it does like and then also just such a, a bastard. It, it would- it would have been very nice to watch that in the opposite direction, though. Um, but yeah, watching it in reverse order, I was I was very much just like, wait, that's Greg. <laughs> like, or no, it's not Greg. Tom. Greg's. Yeah. Tom. Tom Wham's Gams. Uh, but it's Greg's yeah. boyfriend. Greg's boyfriend. Or his husband. The egg. Um, but yeah, it. it, it I just don't notice things like that. So that being said, I wasn't prepared to kind of see through these characters and see 
where they were going to turn. So someone like Conrad, um, I didn't realize was going to make kind of like a, a heel turn in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so some of these other kind of more obvious things where you're like, you know, why is this character acting this way? Uh, you know, seems weird, um, is, you know, part of that kind of adaptation adaptation process. And, um, I think they do a, a very good job of like, making it actually feel pretty natural though um and overall i found a lot of the comedy and the the sense of humor in this film to be kind of right up my alley um i will say this is definitely a very rated r uh film and i gotta give props to disney who owns the company that you know put this out that they didn't shy away from this so you know this is this is the exact scenario of a lot of people going well what's good what's going to happen when disney like produces these things and distributes them and it's just like well we're gonna fucking shove it on hulu like that's what we're gonna do with it so you know let it die um, on streaming well i mean you know, you say die. Some people would say, you know, it's it's being released what during Pride Month, and you know, it's it's out for everybody basically to be able to see. You don't have to pay a fee, or you know, pay a fee, but you know. Um, so yeah, I think I think it's 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 interesting to read people talk about how you know things on a streaming platform are are a good thing or they're a bad thing, um, and everybody's got opinions, you know, uh, in between. So, uh, but no, overall, I really enjoyed this. Um, yeah, it, it, it's it's also funny. I do want to mention um, it's a very different film, but the director Andrew On, I believe, is his last name. Mm-hmm. Um, he also directed uh, Driveways, which I saw a couple of years ago that I really really enjoyed. So um, yeah, he's he's carving out a nice little little career for himself in terms of money. To your point about streaming during um, Pride Month, I actually think it's. Even though I think it deserves a theatrical release because it looks gorgeous, I did have the um, privilege of being able to see it in a theater as well as having watched it on my computer as a screener. Um, I think it incentivizes a lot of um, other LGBTQ people to watch the film, whereas I am curious as to how Bros, the Billy Eichner, Nicholas Stoller project that's going Mm -hmm. to be released, I think, in July or August, how that's going to do. Because as we've seen in the last, you know... um, two-ish years, sort of post, quote-unquote, post-pandemic, um, how films that are not tentpole releases or um, not, uh, like, big IP things, how they've been doing um, box office-wise. There have been, like, maybe a handful of, of quote-unquote, original um, pieces of filmmaking that have been doing well. So I think it's probably to Fire Island's benefit, especially given, like, its particular perspective not only being a gay story but being a queer asian story yeah i i would have loved to see this you know on the big screen and and have a screener and and see it make money if possible but i think the move to streaming i don't think it's going to die it's getting a lot of really good buzz um it's probably one of the most talked about movies that i've seen uh, that i've kind of witnessed in the last few weeks at the very least, mm-hmm. you know, outside of, of Maverick. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's going to do better there. And also then I think too, like there are people who would probably have never 
gone out to the theater to see this because maybe people would have made fun of them. Maybe their parents wouldn't let them go see a movie like this. And it could make a difference for a lot of people who maybe want to have more, more privacy to kind of explore their, their identities or their desires or whatever, um, you know, through a movie Mm -hmm. like this. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. Um, I was not a fan of this movie. I didn't, I didn't find it particularly funny thinking back on it i saw this on saturday and i can't remember like the i think that there's a problem with the the writing or the narrative where i can't remember which moments happen in which order and mm-hmm. that to me says something about the episodic picaresque nature of the film which doesn't work because we're trying to chart an emotional change between at least two characters and i have no idea what came first i don't i don't know like the 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 relationship the central relationship between no and will is a non-starter for me i am shocked robin that you think that conrad rickamore gives a good or even serviceable performance in this i think he's a disaster wow um, it like it was hard to watch i f- just was like so just taken out of the movie every time that he was required to interact with anyone else. I found myself really kind of disliking the movie sidelining Howie, who clearly has the more like moving, intense, meaningful and well-drawn and well-realized and well-acted relationship and story. Um, there's something about, you know, following this, this person who feels so alienated from the community and the, you know, vacation or the experience that's supposed to make him feel, um, like he's a part of something and just like the aching loneliness and isolation of that. He's, he is such a a really like empathetic, beautiful like character in this movie. And every time that he wasn't on screen, I just didn't care about what was happening. And when he finally gets to be centered towards the end of the movie, I actually was really kind of annoyed at the way that that all worked out, which we can get into in spoilers. But like, I'm sitting there just being like, give me more Howie. Like Howie's the interesting Mm -hmm. one. And instead I'm, I'm like not getting that and everything else, you know, rom-coms are never going to be like (laughs) the place to get social realism and truth and honesty. But like this, this movie felt very compromised in a lot of its, in a lot of, in a lot of the choices that it made regarding its narrative and its characters. And I, I, every time I think back on this movie, the only time that I think back on it with anything approaching, like affection or admiration it's it's related to howie and what bow and yang gives to that character and it just feels bad that like his performance and his his pathos is is stuck in the middle of everything else that's in here and what's crazy is that his romantic interest is not great shakes either but i still like he just like james scully charlie that's not like a super interesting character like he does. It's not like 
I'm watching him and being like, this is a romance for the ages. It is all on Bo and Yang's like shoulders and performance, the selling of that. Like it to the point where like sure. as the movie ends, I'm just like, I still don't 100 percent believe that relationship could ever or would ever work. But I'm just so invested in Howie and his his happiness that I want it to for him. Even though, again, I'm James Scully, to... I just don't think is is giving a lot to that or like really selling that he's even like a good match for him. I just like want Howie to feel happy. <laughs> so you just wish that this was about Howie and that would have made the movie better for you. You wish it were about Jane Bennett as opposed to Elizabeth. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. I mean, like, it's possible that you could, that, and, uh, you know, Pride and Prejudice has been made in many ways, and many people love Elizabeth's, Elizabeth, Elizabeth's? Elizabeth. Yeah, the Elizabeth that have been done through oh, the year. Oh, boy. Elizabeth bisexual. <laughs> Elizabeth bisexual erasure right, going right, on right here. <laughs> and, um... And like, you know, I've heard enough women that I've, you know, talked to in my life speak in swooning tones about Mr. Darcy that I'm sure that those are those are stories that have been done well that people like. But I think in this movie that like that's not it's not enough. It's not it's not well executed. And it's and the I guess like if I'm just throwing out all the things I disliked up front, I also thought the narration was terrible. And the narration is getting very mixed reviews. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is it bad? I don't even remember the narration, and I watched this movie a few days ago. Oh, that is surprising. That is I watched it on Friday, and I'm like, "What narration?" It. It. I. I am curious if you actually watched the movie. It's almost yes, I did. I would say this movie is narrating. I did, but I guess it was so seamless for me that it didn't really stand out. See, that's the thing is I'm like, oh, okay. Are you like, well, I didn't even notice that because it was perfectly woven in. Or have you like hysterically blocked it out because it was so (laughs) Robin, are you deranged? (laughs) (laughs) You know, if like you watch your, your parents die and you get hysterical blindness and you can't remember it. Right? Maybe that's you, but with the narration of Noah. I mean, I have watched my parents die. Like, that's not a... Th- I, I, I did, I've not dissociated. I will say that. I think it was just seamless enough for me that it, it didn't stand out. And, and I know voiceover is very grating for people. Um, and I, it is often grating for me, but I guess it didn't, it didn't bother me. I think it just helped guide me. Interesting. Yes. Anyway, so those are my nutshell thoughts on Fire Island. I have a follow-up since you're very controversial right now. Oh my god, yes I am. <laughs> How familiar are you with Pride and Prejudice's story? Because I, one of the things I'm wondering is if you just have a problem with the construction of the Jane Austen you know, narrative here, because the things that you... Uh, cling to the things that you know were emotionally available for you in this particular version are just clearly not part of the construction of that original story. Like as Kyle, you've mentioned, you know how he is, uh, how he is both Jane Bennett, but I think she's also, or I'm sorry, he's also uh, Lizzie's friend. I forget her name. Who marries you know some like shitty vicar? Um, just sort mm. of a combination of of people in Lizzie's life who she thinks should be doing better for herself, but are actually 
you know, just not fulfilling what she wants for them because all of Jane Austen's characters are rather controlling um, about the people in their lives or, or many of the protagonists are. So I guess my question is, what is your familiarity with this story, these other movies, um, and does that impact your feelings about this? I mean, I've I've watched uh, at least two uh, Pride Prides and Prejudice. I don't. Mm-hmm. Um, I read the book, I think, in high school and in college, and I'm sure I've seen you know other at non adaptation adaptations of it as well. Oh, uh, real quick, I will uh, say I did read Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, or at least (laughs) I got about two thirds of the way through and then stopped because it was bad. (laughs) I'm looking forward to 30 years from now when we get Fire Island and Zombies. (laughs) That's nah. literally just Fire Island if you <laughs> I was waiting for somebody to make that joke. Felt like I couldn't make that joke. Hey, uh, that's why I'm here. <laughs> so so you are familiar with it. So it's not really like, oh, I just thought this movie was bad because it didn't hit the beats that I wanted. No, like to. I said, you you can you can make the Elizabeth and Darcy thing work i mean obviously it, most people would say it works in the original novel and you know there's a reason that uh a, the a generation fell in love with uh what's his face the guy colin, colin first yeah i mean you know so i yeah it, it can work i don't know that i'm i'm not like a huge fan of it it's not like my anna karenina like you know <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. That don't was know. very telling. Um, the fact that I like, if I have to think about like women focused, like hundred year plus old novels, I go to Anna Karenina. As your like heart's novel. Yeah. yeah. What he's saying novel. is that he wanted Joel Kimbuster to throw himself in front of the MTA. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And then I wanted Howie as, as Levin to, to, you know, Take Charlie and nurse's brother to their yeah palliative care. For God, you're brother. so fucking obsessed with Levin. Um, Levin's a this great is guy. like <laughs> keeps coming up. So <laughs> okay, I'm gonna backtrack again. I actually am going to agree with you about who feels like the most emotionally resonant character. I I do think that Howie and maybe Bowen Yang because he's so lovable because he's very relatable because you know the character and i shouldn't speak for you but at least for me the character is expressing um a lot of like bodily insecurities that felt very relevant for me um even though i'm I'm not a a gay man uh, or a gay asian man and you know there's just something very sweet about a character who just wants to like have some emotional intimacy with somebody i don't want to discount the importance of of Noah because what he wants and his his insecurities and his sensitivities and his um you know sexual voraciousness or whatever if you even want to describe it that way um I think that's important too I think you know horniness is a valid emotion um but I I do agree that there's something about Bowen Yang's I don't know just like inherent uh, vulnerability that does make him make me want him to be the star. Um, and I did mm. find, I did find 
Booster's character is just like a little bit spikier than I was maybe anticipating. Doesn't mean that it's I didn't like him as a character, but I kept thinking in the movie like, oh, I want the sequel to this movie starring Bo and Yang. It's going to be a Sense and Sensibility adaptation sequel, and it's going to be set in Provincetown. Like that's just what I wanted. I wanted a a Howie sequel. See, that's for me, I, you know, and this again, this could be part of like why I was not totally into this movie. I find horniness to be the least interesting motivation that could ever be. Like, you are a Catholic man. I just like, you know, it's 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 not an interesting thing to me. Like, it's it's so lacking in complexity and and longevity that it's like who what? gives a- oh it, it's longevity it, it's, it's, <laughs> it lasts long, in my opinion um i i understand the frustration but i do think that it's i do think that the film is designed perhaps accidentally for the emotional weight to be on more on bowen than on Joel or more on Howie and less on on Noah because if it's going to more explicitly explore these ideas of desirability within the context of the queer community um like it even it it makes a point to argue that like whatever shared experiences um Noah and Howie have they aren't actually the same they don't actually move in the world the same way. Right. Um, and Bowen's, um, I think inherent, as, as Robin was saying, sweetness and openness um, allows for the film to explore the, explore that sort of emotional vulnerability um, more on that end. Whereas Noah is specifically designed as like more of a calcified character. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interrogating why Noah has sort of built up this shield and this wall, but the fact that you're sort of introduced to Howie as someone who is already saying that he feels this existential loneliness while, get, while like smoking a joint with his friend, like it's setting you up to care a little bit more about Howie, or at least um, more explicitly and more um, directly about Howie than Noah because Noah ha- has this sort of wall up. I have a question about this too. Do you think part of our reaction to Bo and Yang could be also that we're more familiar with him as a face on screen? Cause so I thought I, about that too. For me, the answer is no, because I don't think I've ever seen Bo and Yang in anything before. Like not SNL. I don't watch not SNL. Okay. But you I haven't seen him like online or anything. I'm, I'm sorry. What was that? You haven't seen clips online or on Twitter or anything? No. Or- Whenever like people post something companies. from SNL, I just kind of scroll past it. I haven't been interested in SNL in almost 20 years. Fair enough. <laughs> Talk about I, calcified. I, I don't know. I just like... I think there's... There's that, that one where there's the aliens that abduct the people and like Ryan Gosling's in it. That one was funny. But like, I think that was like 12 years ago. Like I, I just don't like... Nothing about SNL really appeals to me anymore. So, like, I, I actually, I knew that someone I, in this movie was famous. I just assumed it was Joel Kim Booster. Right. I mean, I don't watch SNL either, but I guess I know Bone because he's, like, gay comedian on TV, etc. I, I I do, to answer your question, Robin, I do think that the familiarity with Bone definitely helps. But I also think, and I say this speaking as, like, a thin person, um, that... You better apologize. 
How dare I'm you sorry. say that on this um, podcast? I, I, I think that we are socially conditioned to believe or to engage with characters who are not thin as being softer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, and, and it's and it's funny because the two presented on screen are the softest of the two characters, right? Or of of, right. of our of our group of characters. Like right. one just doesn't party, one doesn't take drugs, one mm-hmm. is you know, they're both kind of in their own way, kind of shy. Um, although right. it does seem like um, I'm not sure who the other larger character is. It Dex. Um, no, Dex is the no, shitty Max. one. Max. Max. Okay, Torian Miller. Miller. Yes. Yeah. So I, I, I was listening to a podcast earlier today because you know I, I, I like kind of consuming content around what we're going to talk about. Um, that sounds like a really shitty way of saying that I listen to a podcast, <laughs> but um, that's just the way that I kind of I, I kind of all my ideas. <laughs> yeah, um, but. You know, it's one of those things where they mentioned that apparently this whole weekend is kind of a debaucherous weekend for him, but we lose that character thread pretty quickly. And, you know, we pick him up here and there basically when he comes back to the house and that they were saying that it's kind of unfortunate because he seems to be having a, a crazy weekend, but no, like there's no details. There's no, there's no information about that. Um, and so I did, I did find that an interesting perspective. The, but yeah, I, I, I do find that the larger characters usually in most films are treated as, as kind of soft edged. Right. Right. And rarely do they have, rarely do they have slash are they, sexualized or have sexuality and i do th- uh, my uh, friend juan barkin has like a completely valid um critique of the film and as much as the way that it treats um its characters of size um while it is trying to like posit itself as a critique of of body elitism because i i mean i really like the film um and i like both it's like um, more central pride and prejudice-esque um romantic thread but i also like the hangout movie and i i wish there was a little bit more of that agreed um, i think you'd get an adequate sense of like the the um the camaraderie and the queer community between these people but those i think those scenes if there were more of them that would I, that would serve a little bit as an antidote in terms of um getting certain characters like max or tomas a little bit of more space um and the running joke for the max character is that everyone's making fun of him for sort of presenting himself as prudish and um not much of a partier and not fun when he as as you were saying bill he is actually like probably getting railed in the meat rack or um (laughs) hooking up with someone or uh uh, making out with someone on the dance floor, and and I think you get hints of him of, of Max trying to reconcile and go on his own journey with regards to his his sense of of desirability. But there isn't, I don't think there's enough to to really cement and I think res- honor that character in the way that I think would ultimately uh, improve or at least benefit the film. 
Yeah, it feels like we we lose a lot of the opportunity for that kind of hangout, you know, guys touching base, kind of like, you know, 80s style group comedy because we get... Touching base was not what I thought you were going to say. But Butts? I don't even know. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) All right. Uh, But it feels like we lose a lot of the opportunity for that because we're stuck with this this Darcy Bennett, you know, kind of romance thing that's happening. That again, to me is, what was that? Stuck. Stuck. Yeah. I'm saying it incredulously. (laughs) I just, I don't know. Again, the least interesting, like just didn't work for me even a little bit. And again, like I, I can't remember if the dance came before or after the, the note, or the the things that were happening. Like every time that those two characters had a conversation, like it feels like there were three different times where like they almost kissed and then got interrupted. And I'm like, okay, so mm. now they like should be to the next level on the, the ladder towards understanding that they have romantic feelings for each other. And then the next time they meet, they'd be like back at square one. And I'd be like, this is confounding and annoying where is Max or Howie or F- even Keegan would be interesting to hang out with. Right I now. loved Luke and Keegan. I wanted more of them. Yeah, they were great. Right. And so, again, okay. You yeah. could get more of them if you weren't stuck having the same scene with Will and Noah constantly repeating itself and will make it the one part in this movie where I like clapped was when Noah said something to Will about like, these cryptic things like a Victorian ghost. And I was like, God, thank you, Noah. <laughs> that Will is one yeah that's one of the things i struggled with he just stands in the corners and go that guy is not who you think he is and he says it about literally everyone he meets it it became a bit of a plot contrivance that he couldn't just tell noah what the problem was with this his suitors like that in, mm-hmm. and, and I get that that prejudice. is marrying. Yeah, everyone's yeah. you know wearing seven layers and refuses to look into each other's eyes because that's the style of the time. But in this movie, everyone's on drugs and wearing speedos. Like it's harder to get away with that kind of like social reserve, right? Mm-hmm. And a modern are famously bitchy. Yeah, <laughs> I will tell you so I terrible things about someone that we're having sex with just for fun. <laughs> <laughs> Even right. if you liked the person. And meanwhile, Will. Yes, exactly. Will, especially if you like the person. Exactly. Will refuses to just openly say, hey, that guy's rapey as fuck. Don't go near him. He's just like, uh, he's not what he claims to be. He really hurt a friend he's of mine. He's such a bad dude. I refuse dude. to go on. And it's like, uh, dude, no. Like, maybe if you think that he's a sexual predator, you should warn people about that. I'm going to also say, I guess we're in spoilers now. Yeah. I'm just going to, we seem to have we, gotten We've crossed the Rubicon. <laughs> um, I actually agree with you about that. I, I did struggle with, I, I agree with you that it could have been a bit tighter in that way, or just kind of less plotty because this is a very, very plot heavy movie. Um, and, and it is mirroring its source material. So I don't want to, I don't want to say, Oh, it's, you know, part of boosters, you know, interest in contrivance. I think he probably did the best, he could um but i i agree that i struggle with that and and not only because uh will's character was so just cagey about what was wrong with um you know the the wickham character the the dex but 
he also was very cagey about why his friend was not a good match for Howie. Like there was a lot of, well, you've been hurt before. And I was just like, what? Yeah, like, why like, are we uh, talking in like gray right you know, now? <laughs> uh, just be careful. Cause people tend to think that Charlie being nice means something more. And I was like, Oh no, is, is Howie going to get his heart broken? But it's like, no, Will was apparently just straight up wrong about that. Cause Charlie did really like, you know, I don't know. Will's not a good character. So he, with the, some of the fat could have been trimmed a little bit. Um, so I, I can't disagree with you there. I right or like you know I, in, if you I was it. <laughs> say that again. You love it. No, I was gonna say I was ambivalent about mm-hmm. um, Conrad Rickmore's performance the first time that I watched it, um, and then I rewatched the um, Joe Wright Pride and Prejudice. And I was just like, oh, now I know what he's doing. And I think he does it adequately. I don't I don't love it, but I, I think he he does a serviceable job. And then seeing him on the big screen, it was just like, oh, you're hot. I mean, I don't I don't necessarily love the performance, but he's very, very hot. I, th- and I mean, isn't to go he just that. playing like a, a a guy with Asperger's essentially? Not, not I to- was not going to say that, but I am certainly glad that someone else took the heat for that one. Well, no, I mean, I don't think, I'm not saying the character has Asperger's. I'm saying that Rickamora is playing the character as he's almost like a, like a, an autistic tech bro or I, I something. Am, I, right. I, I have, I, I have recently begun to rewatch in quiet moments where I have nothing else to do. The, the USA television show, Royal Pains. And there is a character in that show named Jeremiah, who is unspecified kind of on the spectrum and the way that i say that makes it sound like he's a terrible character he's actually like the best character on that show but he has a lot of what will's got in this where he's just you know doing the sort of you know abed nadir thing of like why would i ask that like you know we already established the literalism right and it's just you know like the 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 um what's Drax from uh from fucking Guardians of the Galaxy. Like yeah. all of those pop culture symbolisms of this person is uh neurodivergent, you know, not neurotypical. And I was just like, okay, that's fine, but like I don't think that's what this movie needs or you know, even if that's what everyone wanted to do, it's just not for me. It's not what I wanted. And it was Well, it feels almost cliché. And I also want to backtrack and say Asperger's is not even like a modern diagnosis. Yeah. Yeah, It's a, a, I'm using it as a cultural shorthand to explain how it might have been directed or how he might've, I don't know, shaped the character or decided like, yeah. Oh, like this is the backstory. The character is on the spectrum or or something like that. And and I I think that's a cultural cliche. It's what Robert Pattinson does in the Batman. Like (laughs) if you want to show that somebody is like, um, I don't know, like a little bit detached, you think, oh, I'm going to play them as like somebody who's, you know, neurotypical and super literal. And I mean, I think that's the cliche more than somebody who is actually autistic. Cause I know many autistic people and they are emotional. They are, do not have a flat affect. Um, and if, if they do, that's not, nothing wrong with that. But I'm saying that there, that there's this monolithic idea of autism or being on the spectrum. That's actually just not like real life. Yeah. And I, and, and just, you know, it's, it's funny. Cause like what you were saying, Kyle is like, it's a specifically very bitchy group of people. And 
I feel like that would have been the more interesting way to play this is like, you know, you've got Pride and Prejudice. These two are supposed to have a kind of like constant misunderstanding of one another's motivations. Like, why not lean into that and make it like that they're constantly sniping at each other and being bitchy as fuck? Like, that would be... You mean more horny? I mean, yeah. Yeah, go that way. Like, you know, even even do the thing where you're two people who fucking hate each other, but you can't stop having sex. Like, that would be interesting. You know, I don't know. I do. There's just something I about the way. I don't agree in that it would be. Sorry, go on. I just like the. I just. I just am never going to be able to get over the fact that Will, to me, is a void at the whole of this movie. A void at the center of this movie, a hole into which all other things fall. I I don't disagree that like a, a maybe more compelling approach would have been um, a, a screwball. Esque mm. um, dynamic between the two of them, even though it wouldn't necessarily have been like as faithful to like the the bones of what's trying to riff on. Um, but I, I don't know. I'm I, I'm fine with it. I'm fine with 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 what it's doing because I'm interested in Noah's character. I'm interested mm-hmm. in like his relationship to sex. And what he thinks his relationship to sex is. Uh, my favorite, one of my favorite scenes in the film is when he's talking to Margaret Cho, um, Aaron, um, kind of in the middle of the movie as uh, as James Scully, um, Charlie is talking to um, Howie after like his ex has come back and whatnot, and they're just watching him, and Noah is talking about how his attempt to get Howie laid um, has been has been riddled with with issues and whatnot. And Margaret, um, Aaron asks Noah a rather pointed question um, and says, um, does sex make you feel hot and powerful? Which I think is like a really interesting question, um, especially uh, given the way that both Noah and Joel Kim Booster are sort of positioned um, in the film and within like a broader cultural landscape. Um, he answers, um, no, I'm hot and powerful, so I have a lot of sex. But mm-hmm. I think it's, uh, I ended up profiling Joel, um, and it's interesting sort of the trajectory of his career, having followed his stand-up and whatnot um, for several years. Uh, but it's interesting how he sort of like posited himself in the stamp world as this hot gay Asian, which was like relatively unusual and like having, um, having Asian American sex symbols is already unusual and having a Asian Americans is even, um, rarer. And now with this film as it functions to sort of interrogate that persona, because, uh, his, uh another aspect of his persona is that he's a hot idiot, um, a himbo. <laughs> but as this film sort of functions to inter- interrogate that persona, um, I think the work is also trying to grapple with how he thinks of himself, um, being scru- uh, scrutinized and how he thinks of himself being observed and surveilled by other people as he becomes as he becomes more visible as he becomes more famous um and as he like uh as his like actual sort of body changes and the way that we perceive his body changes is he actually a himbo yes and i'm curious because i read his character as a secret intellectual i mean that was kind of the idea right like that he just has all these um 
you know, Dobbs just to have Dobbs, but really he's breathing yeah. like Alice Monroe. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, I think intentionally or unintentionally, um, the character ends up mirroring sort of the duality or the, the bifurcated way in which uh, Joel has navigated his public persona in that like on stage and on stage for Joel and like to other, to a lot of other people in social environments in the film, like he is hot and stupid and he's there to fuck. Um, Mm. But then you have him reading Alice Monroe and you have him talking about like the ethical slut and he's actually the secret intellectual, as you were saying, he actually is really quite sharp and the, the biting nature of his sense of humor is not only like retaliation, but like very clearly crafted um, uh, mask. Oh yeah. Mm. I mean, it's total survivalism. I I absolutely see that. So uh, Kyle, if you don't mind, I mean, you kind of alluded throughout this conversation that there's almost, um, but you've had a lot of experience with this movie uh, because you went to the premiere and you've seen it more than once and, You've done these interviews. Yeah. So I'm curious about um, if you could maybe tell us a little bit about the lore of your experience with this movie. Like you mentioned that you mm-hmm. have, uh, you know, you've done these interviews and you've been to the premiere and you've seen it more than once. Mm-hmm. And um, it sounds like you have a somewhat of a relationship with the, the creators. And also, I just wanted to mention, too, uh, if anybody has not seen any of uh, Joel Kim Booster's stand up i do recommend his new work psychosexual it's premiering on netflix in a few weeks um it's very it's very almost like a sequel to the persona that he's laid out in this movie um mm-hmm. it, i i thought it was very interesting it was funny it was provocative um but i i just i don't know just give us like a like <laughs> monologue a little about a, a little about your experience with this movie um my experience with this movie well um I have been a fan of Andrew Ahn's um, since 2016 with his film Spa Night, um, which is a film about a young um, second-generation Korean-American man who uh, is exploring his, or or is having to grapple with exploring his his sexuality and his sense of identity, Um, not not only his masculinity and and, um, his sexuality, but also like his place as um, a Korean American son of immigrants whose restaurant is is closing. It's a really gorgeous film. It's very, very smart, really beautiful. Um, it's very. Uh, it's requires like a, a certain like emotional duration. Uh, um, what what's the word that I'm looking for? Um, it's a very mo- emotionally durable, mm. for lack of a, a better phrase. And I think. On has like such incredible insight um, into the queer experience, but also um, a broader and more universal understanding of how we sort of conceptualize ourselves in relation to other people, especially like um, both intracommunally as well as the specter of other people um, gazing or sub- uh, um, surveilling us. And so I think it's like one of the best independent films of the last decade or so. And um, I, I really liked Driveways, which I think is very sweet and very thoughtful. And when I heard that he was, uh, Fire Island was originally uh, supposed to be a Quibi project. Um, and <laughs> Joel um, Joel wrote it 
uh, Joel wrote an essay about like having brought Pride and Prejudice to Fire Island very early when he and his friends, including Bowen and whatnot, um, were going. And then that ended up being worked on to be a Quibi project. And then when Quibi failed, um, Searchlight picked it up. Um, and so, so that there's explains Indron, and then the, the, the Margaret Cho joke. Uh, about yes, being and, with money. and and it, yeah. it and also sort of explains structure. exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I've also also been interested in Joel's um, career because when I like discovered his stand up in college, he was not to be all earnest and and um, solipsistic, but he was one of the few like relatively visible or like public queer Asian American children of adoption or or adoptees, mm. which is like. A, a weird trifecta that you don't, I don't encounter that often, even amongst like friends or amongst acquaintances. You either hit like two, one, sometimes two, but very rarely all three. And I was really interested in the way that like the fact that he was adopted was not an excuse for him to like use autobiography to, um, to carry his material or to carry his jokes. Instead, it served as an opportunity to see what he could do with jokes, to see what he could do with form and function and structure, which is something that I'm very interested in, in terms of stand-up comedy and, and comedy a little bit more broadly. And I was very curious when I heard that Andrew Ahn had come onto the project because it was originally going to be directed by Stephen Dunn when it was at Quibi. And then um, uh, Andrew Ahn was, uh, was hired to do the, uh, do the film when Searchlight picked it up. They have such like different sensibilities. Um, Andrew is like really sensitive and very open and very raw. Joel has crafted a personality where that is like that that is not something that you're supposed to touch. Like the the shield is up, and that's the joke. Like he's a hot idiot that you um, are encouraged to consume um, while also like making fun of the fact that he is consumable in the first place. And so the, these um, these two sort of or or ostensibly um, clashing personalities or or sensibilities. I was really interested as to how they would um, how they would come together. And I was a little worried because Joel's comedy is it's very um, precise, but it also is like a broad a, a flavor of like broad gay comedy that I think is like. Um, I think has become a little bit more acceptable in the mainstream. Like he's appeared on Late Night, he's appeared on Conan and whatnot. Um, but like again, very different um, uh, sort of cra- uh, form. And I was really relieved, honestly. I was very excited that the film was coming out, and I was relieved that like by the time I got my screener, because I knew that I wanted to cover it, and I knew that I like wanted to talk to Joel and Andrew from their like respective points of view about the process of making this and uh, points of view regarding like the, the material and the, their relationship to it, I was really um, relieved that the film was good, that um, the <laughs> two ended up complementing one another. And I don't think it's like, I think there are like some imperfections and flaws, especially as we were talking about earlier, the voiceover narration. I think that you can definitely see in certain scenes the line between like, well, Andrew's movie was and what Joel's movie was. And mm-hmm. I think it, the the um, conversation about the Alice Monroe short story is a really good example because um, the voiceover does kind of like belabor certain points where he's having that debate with Will and 
then he then the voiceover narration comes in and says, well, now I'm mad and horny. And I'm like, we got that. We got that from like <laughs> the way that Andrew is able to direct um, Joel, the way that Andrew is able to direct other other actors in the film. Like he's so good at eliciting this um, this rawness. Um, I keep using rawness, this tenderness and this um, this almost uh, childlike quality this this um openness that is so so uh available to be hurt in a way and yeah i'm sorry for monologuing but like that, that no i asked you to <laughs> she literally used the word monologue yeah i think it's i think you have a, a lot of really good insight into a director that i'm not super familiar with um and kind of who Booster is in like the larger comedy community. Cause I'd never really seen any of his work until, um, until I watched Psychosexual and I was like very, very interested in that. And I actually recently read, maybe it was Ingu's piece, um, Ingu Kang's piece that she, she just did this interview with. Oh, Ingu. I know. Um, she did an interview with Bowen Yang and Joel Kim Booster and, uh, and Andrew Ahn and did, the piece came out today. And in it, Booster is talking about how he interviewed, or not interviewed, he auditioned to be the child in Everything Everywhere All at Once. And he lost out the role to Stephanie Hsu. And it was really interesting. I didn't, uh, mm-hmm. I, I think he would have been really excellent in that role. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I like that film, and I think Stephanie Hsu does a, an awesome job, but it would have been very interesting. Um, and I, I'm really fascinated with the way that Joel is um, pushing his um, public persona. Um, and Psychosexual is really, really good. There's there's a note at the end, or like there's a section at the end of the special, because it's structured in like three sections, um, where he's... So without spoiling anything, I think he's delivering this sort of meta commentary on the way in which he has been perceived in the industry and has been perceived by oh yeah by pop culture. And I think as he continues to do that in in this work, I'm very very compelled. And the I, the two of them together, I, I think, really bring a um a an, an incisive observation set of observations about what it is like to be queer and Asian American and also just bodies in the world that has, that have to deal with like wanting to be wanted and hating the knowledge of wanting to be wanted. Can I ask you a personal question since you have some of sort of I, familiarity with the perspective here? Did you find that this movie speaks honestly or candidly about the experience of like gay Asian men in this kind of, uh social milia oh yeah absolutely like even watching it the third time um i found myself like getting misty-eyed at the end Mm. because um it's it's sometimes frustrating to talk about in as much as like when the conversation around like the um the positioning or like the presence um of queer Asian Americans in like a broader queer community is brought up like a a big topic is like desirability like we're either fetishized or no one wants to sleep with us um and it and it does become like a, a little bit rote but I think here it is rendered like with striking honesty and self-awareness because 
and I think the fact that there is a, like a, a and it's a very clear delineation between like the kind of um, desirability politics that um, Noah and Howie are encountering. I think that really adds um, a dimension to to the film because if it were just like two conventionally hot people who, even though they are Asian, are are like you know feeling bad about like not being wanted in the way that they or not being desired the way that they want to, like that couldn't um that could uh incite eye rolls even for me like i mm. as a, having firsthand experience of like um negotiating um wanting to be the object of someone's desire um and also having the knowledge that i am the object of certain people's desires who may exploit or like um take advantage of that like having that reflected on screen in a flat way is like very very it could be like really quite annoying but the fact that um they have to that Noah and Howie have to reconcile with the fact that their experiences ultimately are different and that they're not the same person um I think really mm-hmm. adds complexity to the film um so yeah I, I think it is very honest very sweet um I, and I um the fact that they that their frustrations with one another and their perception of how people gaze them um gaze as in g-a-z-e not uh yeah gaze. <laughs> i was immediately um, like don't make a joke brian don't make a joke i i had to i get to i get to but yeah, the um, gaze gaze. I, I, yeah yeah um i i think their friendship which is real um i think that so so much of it comes from like a real intimacy between the two also yeah. adds like something to the movie because it wouldn't, I don't think it would matter as much um, if it were two people who didn't have the same chemistry and who like weren't as friendly and didn't have like this shorthand with one another, who didn't have like these um, reflexive gestures that they do with, with one another. The the finger pointy thing in the, in the yeah. movie um, is a really sweet thing that pops up every, uh, every so often that really, um, really cements the fact they know each other in a way that they don't really know anyone else. Have you seen the show It's a Sin, the Russell Davies miniseries? Yes. Yeah. Um, I I was a big fan of that. Um, very very different tone, but there's a there's this in joke that the that the friend family does with each other where they mm-hmm. they go la, and I it was so organic to me watching something like that where I'm like, Oh, like friends do that weird shit all the time where they just Mm -hmm. adopt these little, uh, almost like languages amongst themselves. And, and that Mm -hmm. really spoke to my heart and seeing that kind of thing translated here um, with that little finger touch was just like another form of that to me where I was like, Oh, I'm watching something extremely intimate just through this like nonverbal interaction. Um, yeah. Which I, I was just like a perfect little touch to me, but I, um, I appreciate you, you sharing about that. Um, it's very, you know, I'm also somebody who, you know, is part of a community of people whose bodies are both reviled and fetishized. And I think, you know, Film it's critics. very, ha 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 ha. Yes. Um, I mean, who fetishizes film critics? I wish <laughs> I, I could get in on that game. Seriously, seriously. <laughs> but here's the thing, and I just want to like step back and and point something out about critics for a second. So they are reviled and fetishized. They are reviled. Um, 
men who are film critics could be the most slovenly, unput together, mm. just like, I don't know, just, just beard to the floor. Like, it doesn't matter what a male film critic looks like, but a woman mm. film critic could never have a career uh, if she presented herself that way. I feel like no one mm-hmm. can have a career mm-hmm. as a film critic anymore. So that's, but, but, uh, but, but they do, no, but I, some do. Robin's right. No, I, yeah, I, I know I was making a joke about the insolvency of this. In this economy? <laughs> it, I agree. You are stealing <laughs> my joke. <laughs> but I'm not mad about it because you're, you know, when to deploy it very well. Um, Thank you. But I, so I'm pointing out that like there is most definitely a physical double standard for, for male and female mm-hmm. critics. But because people think that men can't fucking do anything on their own. Like it's a double standard, but it's almost a double standard in the way it's like, if I see Infantilizing. a three-legged, right, it's like, oh, I see a three-legged dog and I don't expect it to run as fast as a four-legged dog. It's just like, you see a man and you're automatically like, well, he's already operating at a five. You know, yeah, so like the he's fact already that he's, a Neanderthal. The fact that he's got both shoes on is, I mean, I, this, especially as a single dad, you know, I, I had to deal with that mm. a lot when I would go out and people would be like, oh, it's like today your day with your daughter. And I'd be like, go fuck yourself. My crazy yeah. ass ex-wife ran away and I am taking care of this child a hundred percent on my own. <laughs> By the way, did you all move the toilet paper? I can't find it. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So it was a lot of that. Like. I don't know. And especially like as a larger guy, like, yeah, my whole life has been spent like just knowing that I have to fight every assumption that people are going to have about me as a human being. So like, unlike all of my, my lanky ass heroin chic friends, I can't not shower every day. You know, I have to be 100% perfect. I have to smell amazing you know, I have to like, like cannot have a bead of sweat on me or else. I mean, like this movie almost gave me body dysmorphia within the first five <laughs> minutes just because I'm like, I'm going mm. to the beach this weekend and I'm like already like no one wants you to take your shirt off. Stay inside, you fucking ugly piece of shit. This is why you're alone and this is why you're going to die alone and you're modeling poor behavior for your child. And then I'm watching this movie and I'm like, yeah, yeah. I would never look like any of these people. I would never be welcome in this atmosphere. And then, yeah, it's just like, yeah, I've, so I'm with Robin in that way. It's just like, there's a lot of that that goes into life. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, very, very relatable. Um, but, you know, with different dimensions. And I guess yeah. one thing that we didn't talk about that is so present in this movie is the class issues. And it's, mm-hmm. and it's never in the movie, it's not just like, uh, Noah's character is a, a waiter slash whatever he does now, and Will's character is a lawyer. But there, there are of course those those elements. Um, but it's also the fact that his form that Noah's Noah and how he met as brunch waiters, and how he has now uh, one upped in life. You know, by moving to San Francisco and having like a a more professional job, and so there are those divisions in that relationship, uh, you know, at the at the beginning, and and it, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's those fissures are there um, straight from straight from the start, where where Noah's character feels already less than because he's not part of this uh, this professional class that he that his friends are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and you see him like 
denting food at the the Fire Island pantry. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, uh, he was, he was may, told to one, do that by Aaron. Yeah. But I, I think he would have done it anyway. Um, if I may go back to the to the body thing um, yeah. briefly, I think what's um, a little frustrating about the film at times is that, like, it as as my friend Juan was saying, um, it seeks to sort of critique that body el- elitism that exists within certain sections of the um, gay community, um, but it still like gazes and sexualizes the hot twinks and, mm-hmm. and hugs and whatnot. Um, and it's, it's sort of interesting be- because like there are, there are like other community, the, the, I don't know if y'all know this and forgive me if I am telling you information that you already know. Um, but like there are different, um, sort of taxonomies of, of, male body types within the gay and queer community. Bears and otters and... Bears, otters, um, wolves, uh, twinks, etc. Um, and even within those, like, subdivisions, <laughs> um, and there's there is, there are certain, like, tenants that you have to um, subscribe to. So it's a little fascinating to me that um, that even within the context of the film... Like, it doesn't explore that a little bit more. The the body like, even, stratification, the body stratification that even within the its own its own um, uh, divisions that there are still things that you have to uphold. I mean, it yeah, it's it's kind of funny because the movie at times is very just didactic about like yes, the like gay life one hundred and one. Right. And so it's like, I can't believe uh, someone says it like in that first scene when they're on the boat, when there's just like an info dump of all like the socially relevant, necessary things to say. It's almost like they're getting a bunch of disclaimers out of the way. Um, It was the clueless welcome to high school scene. Yeah. And it was just like, I can't believe you're like buying into the toxic body standards of this whatever and then he's like, yeah, well, but then like everyone takes their shirt off. And then we spend the rest of the movie looking mm-hmm. at a bunch of ripped people <laughs> in in Speedos. And as, yeah, so it's, it, it is kind of that. I kept thinking about um, Spring Breakers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, a movie that I, I love. Um, and I, I remember Britney the- Spears, another wonderful <laughs> mm-hmm. rendition of. Yep. <laughs> um, but Spring Breakers did this thing where that opening, if you recall, where they're just like blasting Skrillex at you and it's all slow motion, topless, you know, fucking getting drenched in booze, beautiful half naked people. And at the end of that intro, that title sequence, you are exhausted and you are completely Mm inured so that well the rest of this movie still involves these young attractive women mostly just wearing bikini tops you have stopped giving a fuck like it is it you are just like you're saturated right you hit your saturation Mm -hmm. point two minutes in and then for three more minutes they still kept giving it to you so it's like you're done it's over i cannot sense any kind of aesthetic pleasure anymore you've you've inoculated me to what this world is. And this movie 
never quite gets there because it is very invested in constantly kind of playing up the aesthetic attractiveness of these bodies and these various, I don't want to say costumes, but like these outfits that they're putting on. And so it never ceases to be a, I don't want to say a distraction, but like a major presence in every scene. I think the film um, is trying to hold two things at once in terms of like what Fire Island is as a space. It is both like a place where like the worst people in the gay community who are classist and racist and body fascist will go. But it is also a place where you can find, you know, a sense of community and familial love between your friends um and that it matter uh, uh, that it matters that you are able to find that um but i think what sort of problematizes or complicates that is um the two have to coexist in really uncomfortable ways like you can't get one without the other if you're choosing to go to fire island um if you're going for like i'm going for the first time this summer and i'm like oh you haven't been sort of terrified i have not been for like an extended period of time the only time i went was um for a friend's birthday party i went to cherry grove and then like i took a little um walk through the meat rack the cruising area while listening to the into the woods cast album because i thought it would be funny um and then i just walked around the perimeter of the pines which is just real estate and then i walked back it was like a half hour walk along which was pleasant um nice is different than good Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, I listened to Moments in the Woods, actually, but um, (laughs) hoping that I would have my own little uh, thing. Anyway. Big bad um, wolf. (laughs) (laughs) I know things now. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But, like, it's still, like, part of the draw to being on Fire Island, even if you are going for that familial thing, is the the party aspect. Like, it, it is the debauchery and the lasciviousness and... Um, a, a chance to do like um, sexual tourism, if you will, mm-hmm. um, which is not a bad thing or a good thing, but it's like it, it is like a function of the place. Um, yeah, but again, as opposed for to Provincetown, Town, where there's stuff to do. Right. Yeah. For me, watching Noah doing that, I'm like not invested in his journey at all because to me, again, like I said, all of that is like kind of very boring, narcissistic stuff that I don't find any like. So there was actually a point after the movie was you done. Find where being I was horny like, narcissistic? Uh kind of. Yeah. Yeah. I'm what? Robin's wait, what's, wait, 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 say that again? I just I, What's like, being narcissistic? So this is this is one of those things where like every once in a while I I think like, oh, maybe demisexual is an actual thing. Because like <laughs> I get nothing out of the concept of like frivolous you know, no strings attached, uninhibited sexual. That's you think horniness is a wasted emotion. Yeah, it, it 100% is. So like as stupid as the concept of like coming out as demisexual feels to me, there are times when I think about that and I'm like, no, for me, there is no sexual attraction without romantic love. Like that just like, I just don't know if I could ever get it up for someone that I didn't actually feel anything for. Um, and so, wait, yeah, oh, wait so can I we can't... step back for a second? Is that the actual definition of demisexual? Because I mean, maybe I'm maybe I'm confused because I thought it meant that you had to have feelings or like some emotional connection with someone. But I didn't realize you had to be in love. 
I'm going to Google it right now. Demisexual meaning. Demisexuality is a sexual orientation in which a person feels sexually attracted to someone only after they developed a close emotional bond with them. Mm, I feel like that's me. Okay. Well, so there, See, so, so there you go. But so for <clears throat> me, it's it's very hard for me to engage even in a story sense with someone who is driven shark-like by pure, pure carnality. Like that's to me, it's like a very boring thing to think about. And that's narcissistic. Um, I think I was kind of referring to Noah specifically because even in trying to get his friend laid, he was mainly acting on his own in a kind of solipsistic way of like, mm. my friend doesn't know what he needs like I do, which luckily the movie engages with sort of at the end. But again, not in a way that I feel like it really could have gotten its hooks into if like the Will Noah relationship hadn't sucked up so much the oxygen. So I will say that this is a characteristic of many of Jane Austen's main characters is that uh, they're to, you know, women who feel like they know better than everybody else and that they're going to marry Annette. Yeah, exactly. They're going to be the puppet master because they are the, you know, they're going to social engineer these situations and it ends up biting them in the ass. Like I, I think that that is kind of the whole arc of, mm-hmm. of Noah is that this is somebody who uh, in many ways feels very out of control um, because the social sphere that he's in is, is falling apart. You know, the, the, house that he has come to think of as home is no longer going to be available because his uh, surrogate mother lost her home. Um, mm. And this is like their, you know, their last hurrah, his friend mm. that he's very close with Howie uh, is, has reached a class level that he doesn't think is within reach of him and is like projecting his own insecurities about that while making Howie kind of feel a little bit less than at the same mm. time, but not on purpose, just trying to, almost like sublimate, you know, his feelings about Howie's success by making Howie feel like, oh, you need to like get fucked, like literally. Um, and and his <laughs> world is Fair not enough. that stable. So he puts this wall around himself. He gets really sharp. He um, gets kind of nasty and protective and puts up those defense mechanisms. And then you and then he realizes at the end that he's being like a bit of a shithead. Like, just as Mm -hmm. Will uh, kind of realizes that he's being a shithead in a different way. So I I think that he does go through that growth and that that dynamic arc where he is kind of thawing a little bit, necessarily. Yeah, and and not to belabor the point, I also think that it's a survival method for, like, um, Mm non-white people um, that your um, sense of of uh, how much you're worth within like a certain uh, space is very very much rests on your relationship to sexuality and your mm-hmm. relationship to like wanting to have sex. And it's, it's similar for women in some ways. I mean, it's not it, it's not a one for one, but so much of what women think of as their own power derives from their desirability and their consumability. Even, even mm. people who are not considered conventionally attractive or like the standard still hold themselves to certain conventions because that, that that's graspable. And even if, even if you're a little bit outside of those debarkation lines of like, what is 
fuckable versus not like you're still going to want to be as as inched close to that as possible because that's where you derive your power that's where you derive your sense mm-hmm. of self-worth and importance and i don't know like confidence exactly and um to add on that if asian people in western culture in general are just like either not sexualized or not considered um yes I, or over sexualized um asian men in particular are are sort of um uh, metaphorically castrated more often than not. Yeah, th- th- um, this is the whole Henry Golding thing, right? Where yeah, right, like all of right. a sudden people people were like, "Holy shit!" And a, a lot of Asian people were like, "Yeah, yeah, like, we can be hot." <laughs> and Which is crazy, you know, because Daniel Day Kim was on Lost like 15 years ago. How did we not know that? Well, well, that's how white supremacy works. Yeah. (laughs) But but also Daniel Day Kim hasn't been like a breakout star since Lost, right? No, he wasn't on like 17 seasons of Hawaii Five-0 or something. Yeah, sure. We constantly forget that CBS has like long-running television shows that regularly bring in half the country that we just know nothing about. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah. but I mean, you know, the older, older skewing like television shows. Who gives a fuck? Like, you know, advertisers, like half Network the country. Yeah, right, right. Well, yeah. But I bet if you ask but, half the country that's watching Hawaii Five O to name Daniel Day Kim, I don't. Do you think that they'd be able to to spot him in a lineup? Yeah, in a lineup, probably they wouldn't know his name though. Right, that's the point. Like. You're even as visible as Daniel Dakem is slash was. Um, it's still like he still exists within this liminal space, um, and I think um, the solution that Noah has found in the film is to like sublimate that into like being horny and wanting to have sex. And I think uh, you know that has its advantages and disadvantages as far as um, a, a sense of control and power. Yeah, and well, it also it also pushes against. I don't norm. think that makes him inherently narcissistic. Sure, um, but I, I was going to say it also pushes against the norm in a way where he's kind of taking that power by being something different, right? By yeah, by exactly. being aggressively sexual, he is he is kind of flying in the face of what a lot of gay people or a lot of just you know people in general would consider being Asian and male is right. It's Absolutely. like it's yeah, like, it's like oh, you you are you are very horny and you know he's he's you know fairly muscular and everything like that and it's like oh okay you're you're different he is hot he is a hard body (laughs) there you go um i mean uh, i'll let you say that (laughs) um um, but yeah it's 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 interesting. It's it's definitely interesting that, you know, he seems to be kind of putting up that wall as kind of, you know, it's not even a wall. It's it's his sword. You know, he's right. he's striking with it. It yeah. the the lines between like Noah and Joel, I think, um, invite themselves to become blurry. Um and as far as like flying in the face of, of a culture that regularly regularly desexualizes asian men like uh, he i think what's interesting about joel's career is that he's built upon that idea 
and but he still has to have an asterisk on it like he can be hot but he also has to be stupid so there's like this disarming quality that there's like um on the one hand you can be um uh aggressively um attractive but there also has to be something that makes him inviting and that and for for this it's that he is like not very smart or that he that horniness is the only thing as opposed to revealing himself as like someone who is very um uh very uh intelligent and intellectual um and i think that the film also hints at that within noah's character yeah and i feel like that's that's a that's a calculation that a lot of people have to make given whatever level of physical attractiveness they find themselves at like i wouldn't have to be as like smart or funny as i am if i was hotter yeah, I develop I mean, I mean, my whole personality. But, uh, yeah, that. unfortunately, like I have to have a fucking awesome personality because if I was a shitty person and looked <laughs> the way I looked, I might as well just lay under a train. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just mm-hmm. where I'm at. Well, you know, they say depressives have the best personalities. Oh, they do. That's why people I are thought... always shocked when we kill ourselves because they're like, oh, my God, he was the life of every party. He was so funny. Yeah, have you ever mm-hmm. met a stand-up comedian? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, what, like, you know, it's always like a huge shock. It's like, I don't know, get it. Everyone loved him. It's like, yeah, well, obviously he didn't believe Tears that. of a clown. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, I, I do want to bring up something. Bill getting uncomfortable just being like, what <laughs> um, I do want to bring up something that I, I found very interesting that uh, the other podcast uh, that I was listening to, um, I, I, I'll, I'll name drop them here in a second once. I figure it out and uh, I'll, I'll drop this with y'all and let y'all kind of feed on it like like a bunch of wolves but um, I don't know it, what it, it was, you have to first check what is a wolf I know we talked about bears and otters and stuff I never oh no no this is, this is literal wolf, wolf. Is not, older, <laughs> is an older hairier guy and usually like has gray hair I'm like a near wolf I like guess similar <laughs> I'd be like a wolf bear is that a thing <laughs> boy um so werewolf. <laughs> what, what they oh, werewolf jesus werewolf uh, mm, spooky scary what what they brought up Boys was becoming men, men becoming wolves sorry mm-hmm. <laughs> we had to finish it we had you to have finish to finish the ritual when someone starts yes. to say that. I, I have Bro, no idea off. what's happening. Is, is that from Into the Woods? Spooky scare. No, it's from Thirty Rock. No, it's from Thirty, 30 Rock. Okay, I don't. I I, I, I didn't, didn't watch that. Um, but it, it is it is Charlie and Will's friend group who are incredibly shitty, like from top to bottom. And it seems like that, like that entire house at one point in the film, uh, they invite Will over and he's like, Oh yeah, I could, I could bring my house. And a, I was like, well, hold on. I've seen this house. How big is like, how many fucking people does that mean? That sounds like a nightmare. Uh, but also, like, all of them are very shitty to, you know, Howie and Noah and all of his friends. Um, and I was very interested because they brought up, like, that is not necessarily... That can be seen if you're looking at this as a straight adaptation of Pride and Prejudice as, like, the bitchy sisters, right? Mm-hmm. Um yeah. Or the but immature does, sisters. But it doesn't quite work in this scenario where they're just friends 
and they're not related and you're like why the fuck do y'all hang out with these people they're fucking awful so i just wanted to go ahead not not to be um the the gay person on the podcast but that's a lot of gay friend groups like Mm -hmm. you'll encounter i i mean i i think it it goes for like not just gay people but um i think um gay and queer people weaponize their wit against Mm -hmm. one another in in interesting ways um the what I find compelling about the film is the way is sort of the intercommunal harm that that uh, people do to one one another when mm. um, after you've experienced so much marginalization and oppression and you you are able to access a certain level of um, privilege or 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 um, uh, resources and whatnot or to cultivate like um, different milieus you're still can be horrible to one another. And I think that obviously exists for straight people, but there's a certain cachet, I think, for the characters in the film, for for um for Charlie to have this connection to to these people and to have the access to this house, this giant house um on the pines, um, and to have uh access to all this alcohol and all, all these uh, all this food and whatnot. Um even if he like doesn't necessarily like these people, um there's an incentive there. And I think it makes sense for the potential or possibility of access to certain things that um, one may not be privy privy to, especially if there's like a certain class stratification going on, to be mm-hmm. friendly with people who you don't actually like. Because um, I think certain um, subsections of, of metropolitan uh, gay life does rest on presentation and performance it's not it's it isn't so different from from like again straight life but i think there are different wrinkles and nuances to the willingness for someone to have like barely tolerable friends if it means that you can do something or or be in proximity to a certain kind of power when that is uh that you've been told that you don't have access to any power does that make sense? Am I making sense? No, it makes sense to me. I mean, and it's very, it feels very familiar to me. Um, because I think, I mean, I don't want to speak in an essentialist way, but I think a lot of my female friendships kind of work in that way, but also a lot of my friendships yeah. with queer men work that way. Um, Absolutely. And that's like pri- the primary friend group of my life have been queer men, men who didn't even know they were queer at the time that we met. Um, so it, it, uh, it just feels like extremely familiar to me. And part of the joy of those friendships is like the constant little snipes. Like, I think that's mm-hmm. fun, not, not hurtful or like, why would I be around these people? Well, that's one of those things mm-hmm. that talk constantly gets thrown around like the, the term toxic for like a lot mm-hmm. of male friendships, but like, I don't know, like, you know, my, my male friendships, like you could, you could say something horrific to someone, but if you just laugh and then say, I'm just busting your balls, then everyone laughs and you're all okay. Like that's, that's just how it works. But like, you know, a lot of people would just be straight up horrified. <laughs> I think it depends on the, the geographical setting. I feel like some things like that would not fly in certain parts of the U S where where 
there's there's a lower or like a higher cultural i want to say like a there's a word for it I'm, i'm forgetting what it's called not cultural context but like there's a there's a high context society say like in the midwest where you can say whatever but there's there's hidden meaning in those words and you really have to Mm -hmm. understand the the invisible tones around you to to really get those communications whereas like in your on the east coast folks are like super straightforward um see the way and i just think that would shift a little bit maybe maybe Mm -hmm. new york maryland and houston texas just have more in common than you'd ever expect them to but I've always found, like, in all those places, I found that I could walk into a, a fucking, like, social group and say, like, hey, you know, Jimmy, you fuck your mother? And he'd just be like, go fuck yourself. And then we'd all like, <laughs> like but maybe I, mm. I was. Even in of, Texas. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In Texas, you could say terrible things to. I mean, mm. I the only person I've ever heard saying, I'm just busting your balls. There were two people who said that to me the most in my life. One was a 70-year-old Italian man with throat cancer who I used to play cards with in New York, in Queens. And the other was my contemporary friend in Texas. <laughs> my contemporary friend. Yeah, like, you know, I was I was going to say like 25, but clearly he's not 25 now. He's my same age. So it's like mm-hmm. either someone who is my age. Your peer. My generation. He's a contemporary <laughs> of mine, Bill. He is a contemporary. Um, or, you know, this, this old dude who probably fought in World War II. Like... Mm. That's just, and to me, it always was a little more like, and this is something that like the more I've talked to people in my neighborhood and like, we've kind of compared our life things is I, I start to say like, oh, like maybe the Bernie Sanders voters are right. And class does have more to do with almost everything than all the other like little labels that we create. Cause like, we'll talk about like the places where we felt the most accepted and, you know, it it's like always like in terms of like political lines or, you know, uh, like quote unquote diversity, but it always feels like there's more of a sense of common community amongst people of like a, a lower like class in terms of like economics or, or whatever, or even just like the mm-hmm. kind of work you do than in the places where it's like startlingly rich and very liberal. And so it is one of those things where I constantly kind of run up against that, where it's like, I'm in a new town and like, oh God, am I going to like fit in? But then I find a person who's lived a life that's basically comparable to mine. And, you know, we're just throwing insults at each other immediately. And it's like totally fine. But like, again, I mean, we had this mm-hmm. conversation, uh, Robin, I don't think you were here for this because I think this is on our episode on the count of three. I listened to it. So, right. Okay. You listened to the whole thing finally? Yeah. Oh my God, we got there. Um, so talking about <laughs> like, the fact that like I I would like make jokes with my friends about suicide and we would laugh our asses off, but people on the outside would like flee, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. because it's it's all about that that shared aspect and the understanding. And yeah, so I don't even remember what we're talking about anymore. It feels like we're just talking about our friend groups and how much of an. Well, I think what, what we're like, talking about is this idea that. Uh, there's a common language of mm-hmm. of weaponized wit. I mean, to use your words, mm-hmm. Kyle. Like I'm trying to say it in a different way, but it's just too perfect. Um, I was about to say if it works, it works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like you snipe, and you. It's like you're constantly sharpening your claws with your friends right. for when it really is going to matter. Right. Right. Um, Shade. If 
you will, yeah. reading. Um, <laughs> and I think you can, uh, if anyone has seen Paris is Burning, there, there are like slight nuances, nuances between shade and reading. Um, and I think uh, the ways in which like these two uh, groups um, interact with one another shows that difference because like the, um, the conversations amongst like Noah's friends are shade. They're like shady and fun and cute. Um, and no one's feelings are actually hurt, but when mm-hmm. they encounter, um, uh, when they encounter Charlie and Will's friends, especially, um, especially Nick Adams character, whose names is, is escaping me. Cooper, um, Cooper, Cooper. You can tell that like Cooper is reading them. Cooper mm-hmm. is condescending to them, um, and you can there's the um, tension and fraught, uh, the sense of of uh, fraughtness between the two of them, and I think that establishes or or illustrates the difference between shade and, and reading quite well, actually. Yeah, that this is a uh, very very helpful kind of context i haven't seen paris is burning um but it's actually on my summer movie list so i will be watching that um (laughs) the noise you just made i just really want are you okay are you gonna be all right do we need to pause for a second no i i I mean i'm never all right but (laughs) (laughs) that's okay that's why you've integrated into this group so well yes (laughs) i I I still wonder why the fuck i'm here Yeah, Bill's the I'm just like, I'm just like, things are good. I'm happy. I'm married. Like, I got two lovely dogs. I got my dog sitting next to me. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just like, what is going on? I'm well adjusted. Happy about it. Right. And I'm like, uh, I'm going to die alone. I'm going to the beach, and everyone's going to look at me and hate me for ruining their time just by existing there. No. (laughs) Girl, same. I was at the beach over the weekend, and I was feelings and feelings and that's the like the anxiety that i i'm trying to like stave off uh, before i go to fire island this summer mm-hmm. and i keep trying to like like i i um thought to myself like relatively recently i'm lucky that i hate my personality more than i hate my body um <laughs> but i'm trying not to give in that's like, a good sorry. line for stand-up <laughs> so so here's here's Put here's something <laughs> Mm-hmm. Here's, here's something fun just to kind of keep in mind, right? We're, we're kind of joking about body dysmorphia and all this, but it's definitely a thing. Okay. Um, but it's definitely a thing that like, no matter how jacked and tan and ripped you are, it doesn't matter. You will still feel a certain way mm-hmm. about your body. Like, oh yeah. You, yeah. you can well, never be you big worship, enough. You can so never, never be. be yeah. Yeah, so it is definitely like a thing where it doesn't necessarily get better. It's all about perspective change and all about like, you know, surrounding yourself with with things that make you happy or things that kind of are in your comfort zone, which which sucks because a lot of people want to rock a Speedo or things like that and they feel very uncomfortable in it. And it's like, well, you know, that's fine um, because a speedo is a very revealing thing and you know not everybody uh should necessarily not everybody is going to feel comfortable in that no matter how well adjusted they are so i mean that's interesting you you say that because like when i was in college and i was in the best shape of my life i definitely wasn't like 
I don't know, like showing off my body. I wasn't like flamboyant or anything. Like it still was, and this is possibly because I was large as flamboyant. A Interesting there. word choice. <laughs> I, don't, I just couldn't think of anything, you know, else. Fire Island has infested my brain for the last few hours. Um, but like, you know, in college, when I when I dropped a bunch of weight and got very healthy and was um, in great shape, I wasn't like one of those guys who wandered around the dorm with his shirt off. Like I still operated with some level of modesty. But I definitely like felt better, you know. I definitely didn't have the concept of like someone sitting on the bus next to me must fucking hate me just because of like the amount of space I'm taking up, you know. Like there mm-hmm. are certain mm-hmm. things that like you know you can say like oh you'll always want to be better, you'll always want to be more jacked or like taller or thinner. But like just thinking back, and maybe it was the fact that I was just on a sports team, and so I was measuring where I was at in terms of my body by in terms of my performance. So mm-hmm. I wasn't focused so much on the aesthetics, but on the performance, which is why when I started to lose weight, like last year and this year, I went back to rowing because again, I could measure it by performance. Yes. And that helped, but it's still one of these things where I'm just like, ugh, like this is where I am. So like, yeah, you know, it's, it's the madman thing of no matter what you do, no matter what you achieve, you're still stuck with yourself, right? That's the one thing you can't change is who, you inherently are yeah kyle mm-hmm. but there but there are certain <laughs> things that will like it's it's almost like you know money isn't the root of happiness but it does stave off a lot of unhappiness that makes other happiness easier so like, skinniness staves off uh i would say that like having a level uh, like having a level of comfort and confidence in your body removes a psychic load that otherwise might keep you from doing other things. Putting on my grinder profile, taking psychic loads. (laughs) (laughs) I I think that's a sapiosexual, uh, not a I appreciate gross. I appreciate that Bill (laughs) chiming in here about this because you are a fitness coach and or or are you a coach? I don't know, but like you do CrossFit and you probably work with a lot of people that have these inherent um, fears about the way that their body is or, or what their body could be. Um, So it, it, I don't know. I think this conversation is super interesting and I appreciate everybody's vulnerability. And I also want to share one small thing about body stratification uh, is that my husband who is very, very skinny and um, but also on the tall side has never been able to really find clothes that fit him properly. Like he always finds something and the arms are too short. Cause it's like, people can't imagine that somebody who is as skinny as he is also has like long arms or something. Um, but the, but the place that has most catered to his body uh, has was Provincetown, Massachusetts, um, hey. where he bought this awesome leather jacket that fit him perfectly. And, uh, and, I, so I just appreciate that there are places where my husband's body exists to other people, <laughs> not just a, may, uh, may, may, may husband for years. Wait, say that again, Kyle. I've had a crush on Robin's husband. For oh, years. I love my baby. <laughs> may, may may everybody find a pair of jeans that fits them just right. Like that's that's Hell that's yeah. the key. Mm-hmm. That's speed. I I have been. I am very uh, diminutive, um, and I 
not the same thing at all, but I do find it hard to buy pants because I mm-hmm. feel like oh I have to my shop God. In the child section. I'm 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 five two, so you know. No, you're okay. not I'm five four. Really? Yeah, oh. I'm five two, um, and like. Th- to be able to like fit my body type is really incredibly like rare. Mm-hmm. Like the the idea that like as soon as I found jeans that I didn't have to get tailored, I just bought like four pair of them in different oh, colors and different. Like I was just like, oh fuck this, my, like <laughs> done deal. I'm yeah. done. Like yeah. I and like I've I've tried to not like put on or gain a bunch of weight or anything like that or uh lose a bunch of weight or anything like that because i'm just like fuck if i grow out of these fucking things i'm gonna be so pissed what brand is that like who's catering Um, to to that their gap flex fit like Hmm. athletic stretch and like i i never realized like it was about probably like what maybe eight nine years ago when um jeggings was like a thing and people (laughs) people were like oh spandex yeah but like spandex inside of jeans was definitely a thing for women because women have always kind of bought clothes that are or a bit more hip, yeah hip hugging and yeah. and kind of showing off the the curves of their body and you know whether they wanted to or not and it's one of those things that finally proliferated over to men's jeans and as soon as i found out like you know like what one percent or two percent spandex can do to jeans i was just like what the fuck have we been doing for the last five years like (laughs) why did we not take the hint um because it's so funny because so many people are like oh i hate jeans like i'd rather wear a suit or i'd rather wear just like like uh a pair of shorts and i'm just like you gotta get better jeans because the jeans i wear like i'll fucking wear them whenever like it doesn't matter so but yeah it's uh it's interesting shopping for my body type as well and you know i have a body type that a lot of people would be like oh that's awesome like it's like clothes should be fatter flattering to you and it's just like (laughs) fuck that they are not i have to find stretchy everything so right right yeah i mean size diversity is important (laughs) billowy like caftans (laughs) <laughs> yes, yes. I uh, um and I prefer like a a, a slimmer fit. Mm-hmm. But I guess I will have to move to buying from Gap Flex from Oshkosh Bagosh. <laughs> <laughs> I um, the the, the I nice thing of- about uh, the nice thing about the the athletic fit is that most athletic fit, what that generally means is that they're just fucking like very wide all over the place. And instead, these jeans actually like taper at the leg. And mm-hmm. so it's it's like a flattering look where it's not like you're in a sleeping bag because that's usually right. how a lot of like athletic fit things 
fit people is because they're just like, well, we don't know how big your quads are, so we're just going to make it extra big. And you're like, that's <laughs> unnecessary. Like, I, I, I you know, I, I'm not a bodybuilder. So it's just like, and, you know, th- there's another body type that's just like, oh, good God. Like, <laughs> how do you, how do you fit anything? And then, and then, you know, people wonder like why bodybuilders run around and like tank tops all the time and it's just like because they can't fucking wear anything else like what like it's not just that they're proud of their body it's also it's annoying to put on a t-shirt when you look like that like you know so i'm learning so much about men's fashion like this is really just like a whole other world for me. I um I bought a pair of of Levi's and I didn't realize that they had apparently started to do like a 50/50 denim stretch fabric kind of thing. And so I put them on and I was like these feel different, but like you know, I hadn't bought a new pair of jeans in a while and I had just dropped a bunch of weight and so I was like whatever. And then at the distillery, I knelt down to uncouple a clamp from two fittings and I was like wait a second. Jeans yeah, the jeans mood the jeans mood with you. I was like, what the fuck is this? What is this? <laughs> to me, this is just like every day. Like I exactly. wear every single thing no, I own. I'm like, is like a, stretchy. I'm like a person in Deadwood. Like I'm doing all of this labor <laughs> in just a hundred percent raw denim. And so when I kneel down and I don't hear like cracking and like creaking in my 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 <laughs> denim jeans, I'm like, oh, what the fuck. It's that is strange to me. If I'm not wearing just straight up leggings, which are just you know a plastic elastic, uh, I'm my all of my jeans have some kind of stretch to them. All of my work pants are stretchy. Like I, I guess I just took it for granted. Yeah, no, I'm not here's, a stretchy here, pant guy. Here's <laughs> here's uh, here's two things I'll, I'll drop on y'all real quick, and then and then maybe we can move on. Um, no, if we're not having too much fun. There, uh, speaking of CrossFit, there is a very famous CrossFit uh, workout called Fran, and um, there is actually uh, same first name for sure. Uh, but it is it's gotten to the point where they now make like uh, athletic, uh, what is it? Targeted uh, jeans, and two of the athletic targeted jeans are Fran denim, which is a company. Um, and then barbell jeans as well. And so it's just like, Oh Jesus, (laughs) we've, we've created (laughs) our own like costuming at this point. So yeah, it's interesting. Hmm. I mean, my favorite outfit in this movie (laughs) 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 was definitely it was worn by Keegan, of course, as it had to be. It of was course. His, it was his long sleeve hooded bra, I think is the best way to put it. <laughs> it was like less than a crop top. It was incredible. And I was just mm-hmm. trying to imagine the human being who conceived of it, where it's like, yes, yes, it is the ultimate warm weather gear, but it's also going to be long sleeve and it's going to have a hood. And he wore it with like a pair of hot shorts and it was just incredible. Oh, Jesus. I I, I just went ahead and looked up his uh, Instagram, uh, Tomatos. <laughs> and, or, oh, Tomas that's his. That, 
Well, no, that's his his Instagram handle, oh, I guess. Uh, okay. So I, I I I googled that and I was like, wait, is that not his name? And I was like, oh, that's his Instagram handle. Uh, <laughs> he is wearing an outfit on like the red carpet, which is incredible. This thing is wild. Um, I will send y'all a link. To I mean, this. you know, if oh, you can pull it off, why not do it? Yeah. Yeah. I feel the same way. Um, I think uh, I think we've had a really full discussion of of this movie and all the ways that it it has implications for all sorts of you know cultural and social uh, c- conflicts, I suppose. And also, we got all into the stuff about body that I was just not anticipating. I, I this was just such a fruitful talk, talk about this movie. His fucking nails are incredible <laughs> yeah um, I love can this. i add one thing yeah. yeah um i i mentioned earlier that i i think that the film does deserve a um a theatrical release because it really looks gorgeous mm-hmm. one of the things that i really appreciate it about it and appreciate about andrew on's perspective sort of married or or, or andrew on's perspective and ability to convey um Joel's point of view is that I think implicitly and um, it's it's I don't think one would know it unless like one were familiar with Joel's comedy but I think that the feeling of looking in on this world especially looking at the other bodies and whatnot as if through a glass pane like it's it's there but it's not quite accessible does sort of um, not only uh articulate like the experience of being queer and Asian but also the experience of being queer and Asian and also like a uh, a child of cross-racial adoption mm. because you're how do you think it comes to, through I think you can see Noah being um comfortable in certain spaces um but also f- feeling this sense of outsiderness to it mm. It's. It, I think yeah. the movie doesn't get into his family, right? He just sort of like no. they allude no, to they, the fact that it's very. They're very yeah. like much positioning this friend group as a family. Like, what do they call? Yeah, it? yeah, yeah, the chosen yeah. family. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. This is yeah. This is definitely like meta narrative stuff, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think even when you're looking at the the sex party scenes um, and the darkroom scenes and even like the underwear party, um, as appealing as it is, there is this like uncanny sheen to it almost and you can see um noah just gazing off into the distance wanting to be a part of it and trying to like assimilate into it but maybe Mm. not quite um not not being able to do it in in completion that's really interesting did you actually mention this reading to them when when you were speaking with them the create the filmmaker and I did ask Joel about it, actually. Mm. I did ask Joel about, like, to what degree um, h- having been, like, a child of cross-racial adoption shaped this script, especially, again, being socialized in certain spaces. Um, and he did talk about, like, that feeling of always being on the outside of something, um, mm. even as you're trying to, like, accumulate or, or approximate this, this feeling of family between people that you love. Right. That's interesting that he responded to that. Yeah. Or... um yeah, well, I, I, I really appreciate that perspective. Thank you. Thank you for letting me share. Cool. 
course. <laughs> and I'm just glad that you have like the the background with like everyone's work outside of this movie because I just I've got none of that. <laughs> I, have, <laughs> I have no. Again, discovering that Bo and Yang was the one from SNL, I was like, oh, even more interesting then. <laughs> So, so you're you are basically uh, Will in this scenario. Yeah, except where I've, you, you know, don't you, you don't know what gaze in space is. <laughs> <laughs> and you guess Alicia Vikander, not Marissa Tomei. <laughs> that was, that was I love that me. one. My cousin Vinny is such How a big part you. of my life and my family that like him not being able to get that was driving me legitimately insane. <laughs> I wouldn't have gotten it. I've only seen that movie once. Oh, what? I, 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 I will say though, that them giving more and more and more clues specifically about my cousin Vinny is not how you play that game. If, if like, <laughs> is, at it is first how you play that game. <laughs> That's how like, bitchy thank gay thank men you for saying that. that Cause that is literally what say I was going to say. Over again. <laughs> no, I'm like, it's, yeah, it's, it's just the, like? Uh, the the family guy bit about like the jackal. Like it's just like just repeating it over and over and over. And it's just yeah. like, ah, damn it. It's like, what was um, I, I love the way say? that? Like, what else are you going to do for Marissa Tomei? It's like, oh, she was a stripper and the wrestler. And ah, oh, she's Aunt May for, for not Andrew Garfield, the other one, the British one. <laughs> you know? Hot Aunt May. I love the way, I love the way Max is just like, but Alicia Vikander is very good in Ex Machina. <laughs> yes! <laughs> and and I, I pointed at the screen. I was like, yes! <laughs> it was um, definitely like a wink-wink. I Something like Billy Eichner would do. It just felt yes. very Billy Eichner in a good way. Yeah, yeah. Um, one last thing, um, if I may. Uh, I was, the third time watching it, I was very, I, I always really um, enjoyed Joel's performance in this, but I noticed the third time, like the control he has over his voice as an instrument, which I think he probably not only no, developed no. during stand up, but he also went to school uh, for theater as a playwright. Mm. Um, but I think certain lines that he says um, that on the page would not necessarily be dramatic or emotional beats do register as such because of his control, his control over the timbre of his voice, as well as like working with Andrew. Hmm. I never, I, I would not know the difference or like how to read that. It was probably because I just like had noticed, I'd watched it like the third time and I was just trying to be aware of like different things. But mm. I don't know. That was just something that I noticed. Interesting. Well, I think. Uh, I was about to say, are there any final thoughts from anyone else that we have before we wrap up today? We didn't get a chance to talk about Dex. Just a classic Wickham. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was, it, it, I wasn't, I wasn't sure where they were going to go with him. Cause when they scroll through his Instagram, he's got like, like 700 different, like social justice kind of malus going on mm. where he's got like the stop Asian hate and the black lives matter flag. And I was like, Oh, is he like, like one of those classic, like, I guess, you know, the most the most obvious archetype is the male feminist who turns out to be an abuser. Yeah, that's and what so, I thought like, they were going. Right. Isn't that called a milkshake duck? Yes. No, a milkshake <laughs> duck well, sort you, of. No, a milkshake duck is like, oh, like this guy is really cool because he can like, you know, flip a can and land it on a flagpole. And then you find out that he's a Nazi. Like 
this it's this, on the same spectrum <laughs> no i feel like you know it, uh like a, a milkshake duck has to happen on accident right like you're like a guy who's just mm-hmm. living his life and then like you get discovered and you're the internet's favorite but then it turns out that like i don't know yeah some, the pregnant fetishist he, guy on reddit i'm sorry what the Bean yeah, dad, we, bean dad. Oh yeah, bean dad. Yeah, bean dad. He wasn't <laughs> trying to be like the, the, Dex has a real like Joss Whedon-y kind of like I am an mm. ally. Blah blah blah. This is again why I don't trust anyone who self as well. identifies as a male feminist or an ally. You have to be gifted those titles by someone else and accept yeah. them quietly. <laughs> if you put it in your Instagram bio, I don't trust you. You're probably a mass murderer. <laughs> um. <laughs> Yeah, I agree with you 100 percent on that one. Yeah, it, it's 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 the best. Um, every other day on TikTok, someone gets canceled because they've built up a huge following, being an ally or a male feminist, and then it turns out that they stole all their talking points from like women or marginalized communities and gave them absolutely no credit, or they've been like sexually propositioning 16 year old girls. Um, I was expecting something like that, like oh he it turns out is like a horrible bigot or like, you know, he collects minority sexual partners to bolster his like social media thing. The fact that he does like sketchy found footage, self-produced pornography. I can't, I, I was like, wow, that came out of nowhere and it's terrible. But also I feel like, you know, just threatening him with a lawsuit to take down one video and then throwing his phone in the pool. Maybe he deserved more than that. I don't know. It, that was one of those moments where I felt like the movie was compromising its vision in order to try to stay frothy without like really digging down into like the the real danger of a person like that. Mm-hmm. And also, it was a point where it's like, Will, if you knew he could do stuff like that, if that's what he's like famous for to you, maybe you should have just said that immediately. Yeah. Again, the the. The plottiness just got in its way. Like I, mm. I in college, I wouldn't go up to a girl and be like, "Hey, I've heard bad things about that guy," and then I'd like twirl my cape and walk. Yeah, away. exactly. That's what it was. Like, just so you know, that guy is fucking famous for being a near rapist, and one of these days he's going to take that final step, and you need to stay away from him. Like Ugh, that final step, right? You know, where it's like goes from like maybe a little bit of coercion to just like full on violence. You know. Like, you know, it's, yeah, it's just, it was, it was one of those things where I'm like, you know, it like, cause if it was like a, he collects like minority sex partners as a way of bolstering his image, like that's morally like ethically wrong, but not like illegally punishable. Like it's like a selfish narcissistic thing, but it's not quite a full on fucking crime, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. whereas this is a full on crime. <laughs> Well, yeah. Yeah. So it's it was a little weird. And then again, like, you know, they, they throw his phone in the pool and Will's like, you know, they make those things waterproof now. Mm-hmm. I was like, God damn it, Will. But anyway, so that's I just I felt like I needed to get that out because there's a part of me that's like, I feel like if you're going to make that Dex's thing, you should have maybe leaned into it more or picked a different thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Cool. So we got to get out of here. Do we? I need my heritage pork anymore. chop. Is, did you did you get it? Is it there? Wait, I don't know. Nick had a bag when he walked in. So <laughs> yeah. why is on the microphone right now? Chop. Let's find out if you got your pork chop. No. <laughs> All right. It could well, be venison. 
Every, everyone follow Robin on Instagram because guaranteed she's going <laughs> to post a picture of this. That is not true. I very rarely post photos of meals that I did not make myself. Only if it's like Why a very it nice a ha- restaurant. Why is it called a heritage pork chop? I think it's because uh, usually the the pork the or like the pig. pig yeah, the like breed of pig. Breed. So yeah. it's not like it's not like mass produced factory farmed homogenized it's like this is the north carolina blue tip pig you know uh-huh. yeah it was smuggled on a boat from france <laughs> in 1502 right like, yeah it's um i mean so like I, I i have a distillery and like you can get from a major national manufacturer like yellow corn or you could go to like a local farmer and get like a heritage breed mm-hmm. you know blue or red corn uh-huh. Um, and so, like when right. when it is something like that, where it's like this is a a non you know basic homogenized mass produced thing, they tend to call it heritage. Okay, interesting. Because every time I I kept hearing heritage pork chop, um, I did think ethnic white person. <laughs> <laughs> you know what they say? I love a heritage pork chop. This is same, the food same. of my people. <laughs> the, the yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. Uh, except not Jewish people. That would be terrible. Um, yeah, no, that's that's Jew. a that's a transgression. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. But you Give know, whenever I go to whenever I make some meatballs, I I turn to my daughter and say, "These are heritage, heritage <laughs> <meatballs>. <laughs> These are the balls of your people, child. <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> daddy, <laughs> this is <laughs> never again. <laughs> daddy. Um, why? Why do you keep saying that? <laughs> I don't That's know. it for today. Uh, Papa. <laughs> <laughs> See, that just makes me think of Fievel Mouskowitz. <laughs> I've, I've never been able to take any child calling their parent Papa seriously. Papa, just, Papa. Right, because I imagine that little Jewish mouse just scream, Papa. <laughs> Papa, can you hear me? Yes, exactly. That little Jewish mouse. Poor little Jewish mouse. Yeah. Um, escaping the. All right, let's get the fuck out of here. Yeah, let's talk Pork about. Chop. Let's talk about <laughs> an American tale. Um. Anyway, so that's all for today. Um. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Film State Show, Facebook the Film State Show. Go to Patreon.com/slash Film State Show. Give us your money. And um, that is uh, that's that. Robin Barr, what are we talking about? Not next week because we're taking a a break while I am on vacation. We're going to be doing Crimes of the Future. Yay. And when will that be? That's like three weeks from now? Two weeks? Yeah, it'll be the last week of June. Yay. So, anyway, I hope you all are super excited for that. Until then, let's tell the fine people at home where we can be found online between now and the next time. Uh, Let's begin with our guest, Calter. Where can people find you and your work online? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I had such a delightful time talking to all of you, and I'm glad that we um, had the chance to like go wide and deep um, on Fire Island, which is probably what I'll say to someone on Fire on Island. Fire Island. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> that's um, but what we do you on can this show. Find <laughs> exactly, uh, but you can find um, my work at W Magazine and GQ and the New York Times, and you can find me on Twitter at Tyle Kerner. It's T-Y-L-E-K-U-R-N-E-R. It's just a spoonerism of my name, and I'm also that on Instagram and elsewhere on the internet. But thank you again for having me. 
Thank you so much for being here. And uh, Bill Graham, what about yourself? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Billstagram. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at CableBFG. But just remember, I don't tweet that much, but I am in the Slack channels. So, And I started posting in the food channel. I, I was like, all right, Robin, I, <laughs> I see you. So here we go. Well, I appreciate it. I love anybody's restaurant slash cuisine tips. So very into that. As for me, I've started posting cocktails there. Yeah. Not quite food, but, you know, food adjacent. Calories in it. Ingestibles. <laughs> Ingestibles. I took a picture of a tea I made earlier. I'll probably post that in there because it was a pretty good tea. Anyway, Rumbar, where can people find your stuff online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at R-O-B-Y-N-B-A-H-R. It's just my name. I'm also on Letterboxd. And uh, you can sometimes find my writing at The Hollywood Reporter. All right. As for me... You can find uh, stuff about me on my personal site, BrianJerone.com. Uh, I'm Brian Jerone on every social media site of which I am a part. Um, so check out all those. And don't forget to look for our film writing over at thefilmstage.com, where you can find every episode of this here podcast as well. And for more information about uh, my distillery and the liquor that we make, go to schmidtspirits.com. So ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us and tune in next time. <laughs>